0: Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast.
1: This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching.
0: Hey, Yolando, what's astonishing you?
1: What's astonishing me? Ask me who won the Super Bowl.
0: Yolando, who won the Super Bowl last night?
1: I don't know because I didn't (laughs) watch it.
0: (laughs) That I was going to. I do know, but I don't care. But yes. Um, so tell me more.
1: Well, I'm astonished um, by, I I just feel light and less stressed and less anxious because I've been on a news fast for the past week and a half. Um, I knew that I would uh, plan this news fast post inauguration. You know, I spent way too much time over the past six months, over the past year, actually watching the news. I get up and turn on the news.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, do you you watch it? Like you watch I the news watch on TV? watch it on
1: television every huh. day for way too long.
0: That, wow.
1: The morning when I'm getting ready or making breakfast, sometimes, well, not sometimes, most days uh, when I'm at home working, I'll have the news on. In the wow. evening before I go to bed, I watch the news. And, you know, those the, the stories and the images... And they really do have an effect upon your mental, emotional health. And uh, it's been good for my soul just to take a break, um, especially Mm -hmm. from the images. Um, um, Yeah. So I'm just astonished by how good I feel. And, you know, I'm a person that likes to be informed. Obviously, I watch so much news. But it's it's good it's good to take a break from um, that much uh, news media.
0: Yeah, I, that that's interesting to me because I so I never watch the news. I I will listen to NPR when I'm driving. My kids, like the big joke in our family, is that my car only plays npr so when they're riding someplace <laughs> with their dad they listen to like whatever radio stations and they're always like singing these songs i'm like how do you know and they're like because dad looks cool music so um <laughs> but in my car it's all npr it's all NPR. the time um and then and then i read i read articles um but i don't i ne- i never watch tv news because i i I think that medium and just the way that it is ratings driven and the format um, really does make it difficult both to um, go in depth in any kind of way. um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, so I, I do think there are things that I can process in the written word that I just, and then I think there's a lot of things like, especially like local news, there's a lot of, tragedies that make the local news that honestly, I don't, I don't feel like it's news. It's not something that I need to know. It's just voyeurism, And I, I really Mm -hmm. um, don't appreciate that. So anyway, I'm glad for your news fast. I think, you know, I think I, I really appreciate that you are doing a news fast, which I think is something that obviously fasting from anything is always an appropriate spiritual discipline, um, from anything of the world, as they say. But I do have friends, um, colleagues who just sort of have decided they won't, they're just not watching the news anymore. Like they're done, they're out right, for their right. spiritual health. And I think, you know, that's a really problematic Absolutely. Um, decision to, to just mm-hmm. say, I'm not going to Care essentially, it's it's not relevant to me, so I'm not don't need to be informed. And I think the reality is, we we you know I am not a fan of the famous preach with the New York Times in one hand and the gospel in the other. I don't, you know, I don't preach the news, um, but I do think that you know Jesus came and you know participated in the world, and and so we need to as well, and we need to bring the message of the gospel to the conversation that the world is having which means and it's just anti-gospel to be indifferent to say the fact that Haiti is facing its own you know political coup crisis right now like we mm-hmm. we need to care as the body of Christ we need to be in prayer so we need to be informed but i think a news fast um i mean that's just a really faithful way of acknowledging lord i need a reset and i need the I need this spiritual capacity to, mm-hmm. to engage.
1: Um, yeah. Cause if you drop out altogether, you, you lose the capacity, I think, um, to um, walk with those who are suffering, right. To weep mm-hmm. with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. And um, like you said, I really like the way you put it. You're essentially saying, I don't care.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, a lot of, Again, I know a lot of Christians who will couch that in bad theology and sort of this idea that like, well, the Lord has put me here in this place where I am safe and I have abundance and I, and, you know, the Lord doesn't need, doesn't, you know, that's, that's just none of my concern. And and I think, you know, that's, that's a very marketable, bad piece of theology, but it is completely (laughs) antithetical to the gospel. So, um. So, yeah, and,
1: a, I, and a sign okay. of and a sign of great privilege.
0: Well, absolutely, absolutely. But again, I think regardless of um, you know our embodiment, it's it's appropriate for all Christians to be able to fast from anything for mm-hmm. a season. Um, but I do, I especially think it is especially troubling when you see white Christians saying, "Oh, I just don't want to read about that. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to think about that." And think. Right. Because you can, you, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. um, You know, I think because you are a black man, if something during your fast um, happens and another example of police brutality comes to light, even if you do not know the specifics of that incident, that's your reality every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just feel like it's really important, especially for white Christians to say, you don't. We don't get to say this is too much for us. We're tapping out. Like to say it's too much for us to even think about it or read about it. But we're not living it. And so it's a it's a really important place of solidarity to say like, no, I will stay engaged. Um, I will read the articles. I will listen to the family members who um, are are lifting up their voices and crying out and to and to say it's too much for me spiritually, I'm going to walk away from that is to walk. I mean, that's where Jesus is standing. So,
1: And part of the benefit of temporarily disengaging is so that you can re-engage with more energy and clarity and, you know, and focus, right?
0: Right. And I think when you are disengaging, and I know this is true for you, like when, just because we've talked about fasting a lot, like when you fast from anything, you replace that with intentionality and spiritual discipline. So, so what you're doing is disconnecting from the news of, the world that is passing away and in order to really deepen and heighten and intensify your spiritual intention and focus to new creation and to um, the news of the gospel that then gives us um, a foundation and the context wherein we can be engaged in the world and still be um, experiencing the yoke of Jesus as light and the burden as easy because our primary story is, is the revelation of scripture, which then allows us to listen to what is happening in the world.
1: At Dorada church, we say, if you do a food fast without additional prayer and Bible reading, then you're just on a diet.
0: You're on a diet. (laughs) Yeah. And and Jesus is anti-diet culture for sure.
1: So what's astonishing you?
0: Um, well, I actually just have uh, three little things that are, when I think about um, what is astonishing me, um, this past weekend was actually really, um, uh, I, I do want to say joyful, full of joy, like real real joy, different from happiness, but you know, what What has been so strange for me during this pandemic is that my, my rhythm of daily life is so different. Um, so when the pandemic is not happening, I do a lot of ministry on the weekends because that's when the majority of the members of my congregation are more available. Um, so we often, um, have, um, things to be a part of on Saturdays, and then obviously worship on Sunday, which is followed by some other um, opportunities to gather, just because it makes sense that we're already gathered, and so we, you know, um, and then the pandemic comes along, and everything's virtual, and then all of a sudden, I mean, we we do still worship on Sundays, but the but the labor of that is done earlier in the week so that the worship video can be prepared, and um, so it's just different. My, my work shifted to from being sort of really evenly distributed over 7 days with maybe a day off during a weekday when none of my family was around <laughs> so <laughs> that was something or well Carrie and I would be together I would keep Carrie here, mind but, yes. but it would just be me and her and then and then all of a sudden it just shifted to now I have I mean something closer to the experience of of most uh, people which is you know i I do my work in the five days of the week and then on the weekends like I'm involved with the life of the church but just as a as a participant not as a you know I'm not leaving anything i'm not you know so it's just been and i and i I hate it so let me just say that I hate it I've never been someone people will often say, have we talked about this in the podcast before? no people often will say like oh your pastor doesn't it's you know isn't it terrible that you don't have weekends and I never. I mean, I never thought it was terrible. Like I never, and and I, you know, I mean, I went straight from college to seminary. So my whole working life has been in the context of the church. So I've never, I've never known anything different. Um, So I never felt, you know, I never felt deprived. I never felt like I was missing something, but now I have weekends, admittedly pandemic weekends where you can't go anywhere or see anything or travel, but <laughs> I don't, I hate them. Like, I, I mean, I don't hate the weekends, but I'm just saying like, I don't like the rhythm of, like being working when everybody else is working and being off when everybody else is off. And, and like, I really have, I don't know, it's just one of the unexpected things that the pandemic has shown me is I really like just the rhythm of being a pastor and the way I really like that. So I've missed that. And then this weekend, um, just because of how things worked, we did a, um, a takeout church on Saturday where we were giving out, um, supplies for ash wednesday and for this sermon series and some kids stuff and so a and communion elements and it just gives me great joy um, to be standing outside and it's all outside it's all asks masks people literally drive through in their cars and we hand it in so it's very um it's very safe and very um i think like responsible to what COVID is but I, you just get to see people and it's just joyful and, you know, people will idle in their car and check in. It's just really, really great. So it just gives me so much joy. And then on Sunday, and and this is where I mean joy as opposed to happiness, but we have a a member of our congregation who I just, um, who we beloved as, as people are in our congregation, but, uh, he his name's Richard Wright, and he was 104 years old, and he mm. died of COVID two weeks ago. I mean, there were some underlying conditions, and so that is that is just hard and sad and hard um, because we can't do the things that we want to do as a church. We can't have a, a worship service to celebrate and give thanks for his life and his family. And I was so grateful for this. Um, and and let me just clarify: families need to do whatever they feel like they want to do so I don't it's not my place but I was grateful that they decided um that they would try and let us do something over zoom and so that was um really different and definitely like an uh, uh, there was just a level of technical challenge of how do we make this space um I mean, it is sacred, but how do we make it feel sacred for mm-hmm. folks? And how? I mean, I just think, I mean, anytime you worship, you you want it to be as excellent as it can, and that the way you do things to really um, embody the posture you're trying to take towards God, and and you know, embody all of the reverence and awe that you have towards God. But and on a Sunday, it's it's a little bit different because even, even, and it does, cause we're humans, like even when worship can go terribly wrong, there is sort of this underlying grace of we'll be back here next week. <laughs> like we, we get another bite of the apple in seven days. And so that does take some, some pressure off and just, which I think you need, like you want to want to do your best, but not feel like you have to, or else. But I will say, and I feel like this about um, funeral services always, you know, that is only going to happen one time. And so there's just an extra way of thinking through how that service is going to go, because it will never happen again. And, um and there's just lots of, I think, beautiful weight of wanting this to be a gift to, I mean, obviously, it's a gift to God, but it's a gift to the family and wanting this to to um, really obviously glorify the Lord, but also be beautiful for the sake of the one whose life you're, you're giving thanks for. And so um, I was very happy that we could do it over Zoom because we that meant everyone could be a part of it, even if it was virtually. Um, and it meant that we could have a service as opposed to just sort of not knowing when that could ever happen, um, and so we we didn't we were able to stop and do this and not just keep walking on. So anyway, and it was I, I mean I think it was beautiful. Like I would rather that it had been in, in in person, obviously. Um, but I I really felt that even though the format was different, I really felt like spiritually the same the same the same purpose had been accomplished like mm. it just i mean there there is power in being together in the room yes but there's also just a power and a goodness and a reality that is shifted when the scriptures are proclaimed the promises around resurrection that we put our hope in when they're said out loud and when the prayers are prayed and when people stand up and that's our tradition is that people we invite people to share a memory about the person, because I I never want a funeral to be generic. It really needs to be specific. And then, you know, having, I really find great meaning in um, finding a scripture that is glorifying God, but in a particular way that this person's life, the imago Dei was, so I just, so it was, it was difficult and there was definitely pressure in the zoom format like we did a <laughs> did a zoom christmas eve service and the internet went out in the, in the middle i mean it was just a mess and and again even christmas eve christmas eve matters of course it does but also you know people were there and they could see each other's faces and there there was laughter and there was joy and there was just lots of space and grace and i and so i hated that it didn't work but i also wasn't like devastated by it um and and there'll be another christmas eve but that but this is is a is a one time thing so uh, anyway and so i'm so grateful that um again rachel our ministry coordinator just really um set it all up so that it was so that it came together really i just was very pleased and i was just pleased to be doing the work of ministry mm. on a sunday gathered even virtually gathered with my people like it just um, was such a such a gift to be able to to do this work that in a lot of ways, you know, some things we've been doing differently and some things we just haven't been doing. And so it was just so, so such a gift to be able to do something. And I know also such a gift that whatever, eleven months into this pandemic, we we just, um, you know, Richard was the second person in our congregation who has died since the pandemic started. And and we had a really beloved member of our congregation who had been ill for a very long time, Robert Sampson, who died um, in May. And at that point, it was also new that we really did think like, well, let's just wait and celebrate his life in the fall, mm-hmm. right? Because we just had no idea. So anyway, I was grateful for that. And the third thing that I'm astonished about is just how much longer this goes on a Monday morning when we're not.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I got um, two responses.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'll just tell you my last thing is short. I did watch a Super Bowl last night because I'm married to a man who wants the Super Bowl. I don't care about it, but there was a commercial with Bruce Springsteen for Jeep, and it was all about sort of meeting in the middle and we need to come together, blah, blah, blah. And I was really angry. And I just want to point out that the idea was there's a there's a church in the middle of the country and the doors are always open and anyone can come inside. And then it showed this close-up of a cross over and a an outline of the Amer- of the United States painted like the American flag. And I just, I am always astonished and horrified when I see crosses and flags, always, 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 always. And I really want, I really want more Christians to just see that and notice it and, and be troubled by it and have just sort of like a, a gut, like this is wrong. This is dangerous. The cross is not part of any national identity. It isn't subsumed to any national identity. This is, you know, this is wrong. And this is really antithetical to the the gospel revelation, which is that, you know, God that through the covenant that God made with Abraham, all nations are blessed, that God, are, God is gathering all people back to God's self. And 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 I just I, I was astonished to see that just again and again and again and in a secular commercial, not even the fact that it's a secular commercial to sell Jeeps and that, you know, that and that of itself is horrifying. Um, the cross of Jesus Christ is not meant to be product placement for anything. Anyway, so those are my three things. Oh, is that all? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's all.
1: Well, uh, now I have three responses. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the the last item you talked about, Um, You and I were talking before we press record for this podcast about defining the gospel. And, um, you know, for Christians on the right, more conservative Christians, they can define the gospel so narrowly that it's overly simplistic and um, it stops being the gospel. And then for Christians on the left, it's so broad that you kind of have nothing and it is it is problematic when you um layer whatever you think the gospel is with nationalism. It's just problematic. And for someone like me, you know, an African American, you that's just so easy to see when that kind of stuff happens. Um, because America is not the kingdom. America is not the promised land. And so I just don't get those two things confused. And I do think it's very dangerous to put those two things together.
0: And it what's it's just dangerous that I think a lot of Christians we we have not done a good enough job of teaching what the gospel is and what it isn't. So I think a lot of Christians would have seen that commercial and just thought, like, oh, that's nice. Right. Like just not not, I mean, like if it's pointed out, they can see it, but just but but they their radars aren't aren't tuned for it and i just think um we need to do a better job of helping people um understand well i mean and i'm jumping because that's what i'm gonna talk about in the what i'm thinking about but understand what the gospel is so clearly that they can really recognize like oh someone's doing something with the cross that is um not not right so anyway
1: uh, and going back to your funeral, I think one of the things that's so beautiful and um, fills me with joy during this time is that you know even though we've had this great disruption, um, the essentials of the faith are still there, right? Mm-hmm. So even when we're on Zoom, the essentials of the faith are still there, and uh, they bring us comfort and joy and help us to move forward. And um, I am, I am learning. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning to be. Gosh, this might be a bit. I, I hope this comes across the right way. Right way, um, but I'm learning to be a, a bit grateful for this disruption, or at least grateful for the revelation that I've received in the midst of this disruption.
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree. Like I think of it in the way that like when we went through transformation before with our previous churches, like I don't want to go through that season again ever because <laughs> it was terrible. But I I wouldn't trade anything for the fruit it has borne in my life. So it's I I recognize that something of great I'm grateful for the things that God brought out of that season that are that have have changed my life and and really in lots of ways saved my life. So I'm hopeful that this will be the same.
1: Yeah, and the thing I really wanted to uh, respond to um, is the change, the disruption in our routine. That's just Mm -hmm. been so good for me to get out of my normal pastoral routines. Um, (sighs) I was watching, uh, it's actually a Zoom meeting. Uh, It's recorded, it's on YouTube now. It's uh, Black pastors across the world from Italy, Denmark, North Carolina, to California, uh, to Nigeria, I mean, just around the world, Black pastors were in this meeting. And I believe it was Bishop Noel Jones in California. I said, you know, many people are asking me, when are we going back into the building? When are we going back into the building? When are we going back into the building? And he said, and I'm so glad he said this because I've been thinking it and I didn't want to say it. He said, someone ought to start asking if pastors are going back into the building. This disruption has been so good for my soul. If I'm honest, I'm having a hard time thinking about going back into the building, being at home, working, With family, has been so good for my soul. Now, the hardest thing for me has been uh, (laughs) to be first grade teacher and pastor uh, during the week. Outside of that, I mean, and that's just been just it's been exhausting. But outside of that,
0: (laughs) well, I mean, I'm I'm not mad mad at this. Yeah, like. I mean because you're not saying and maybe you are saying so let me ask a clarifying question. Are you saying that you don't see maybe ever going back into the building for worship or you don't see going back into the building of like this is the space where I do work to prepare for worship and yeah.
1: I'm saying Ah, oh, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying I don't miss the building. I'm saying yeah. I I don't I don't miss that space. It's nice. It's lovely. Our, our worship space is beautiful, but I don't miss it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I miss gathering with people, but I don't miss the space.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't care about the building. I care other than it is the context where we can do ministry that I care about. So like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I care. I miss having a community meal. I don't want to lose that. I miss being able to have worship with everybody in the same space and singing. Like, I, like, I miss the things that the building allows us to do. But I mean, I think for me, and I think for you too, like, before this happened, it's not like we went into our church offices, sat down on Tuesday morning, you know, sat at a desk, did whatever, got up at five and went home. Like we already, and and this was a huge part of our transformation process too, is that they were saying like, you're you need to shift the church's understanding, the congregation's understanding from anytime I turn up at the church building, the pastor will be there waiting to talk to me to I expect the pastor to be out in the community, mm-hmm. you know, in making relationships, making connections that then allow um, the whole congregation to follow. So that is different than, you know, being in meetings for the, you know, for the Presbytery. <laughs> well quickly. now, post-pandemic,
1: yeah. I'm much more eager, and it's almost a moral imperative for me now to use the building more, right? For us, mm-hmm. it was a worship once a week in the sanctuary, mm-hmm. um, maybe a rehearsal midweek, but outside of that, our worship space just sat empty. Mm-hmm. And like, well, how why why are we not sharing? With like four mm-hmm. or five congregations, why? Why is this our building? Mm-hmm. It just makes mm-hmm. sense now. Now that the building's been sitting empty for almost a year, and my phone is ringing,
0: it better be Jesus calling.
1: <laughs> it
0: just makes sense for
1: especially smaller congregations to get together and say okay you know what this pandemic has taught us that it's not about my property versus your property it's about a, a mission and we could probably do mission if not better together as one body one entity maybe we could do it better in the same space sharing space let's 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 lower some of our costs by sharing space i don't know so I'm, I'm
0: just i'm all about that yeah if it's not just like oh cuz this is my suspicion my my hesitation i know where like you're going
1: key. i know where you're going go <laughs> ahead and i agree go ahead
0: yeah i don't i don't one of the things that i think is creates a healthy and a holy urgency is when you say like oh i really want my kids to have a youth group but there aren't enough children to do that well oh that's a sign that we're not engaging with enough people so like i don't yes. like it When churches basically come together to do something at a critical mass for the sake of themselves, which then removes any sense of holy urgency that actually we're we are not engaging with new people. So I agree, like what you said about like, let's share a building space so that we can allocate more of our resources towards inviting and connecting and serving but not so that like oh we now can feel we more have,
1: comfortable now we have right. more yes yes yes
0: yeah so that so that it feels like we are doing ministry with more people than we can and and i know people and so do you that you know churches have thought like well my church isn't healthy well here's an easy solution let's go partner together with three other small churches and now we'll have one big church and then everything will be fine and it's not fine and it's a way to
1: avoid being obedient to the mission the great commission.
0: Right and and most of us when our churches are small and not healthy it's 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 because we have because we're not healthy right mm-hmm, so you have three mm-hmm. churches that are inwardly focused and not interested in doing the mission and and are putting up barriers that keep people from feeling like they can connect and belong and contribute, then when you get those three small unhealthy churches together, what you then have is one big unhealthy church and you know, mm-hmm. three sets of people who feel like entitled and territorial and defensive. And anyway, so I, I yes, but I, I think the overall point of like, and, and I think this is true with the Grove, I don't think we're grateful for our building um, but I don't think that anybody misses the building, but we do miss the ability to worship together in one space. And we do miss the ability to like open the doors and have our community meals and, and open the doors and have kids in there for a free after school program. And just things that, you know, cause I, I've said this for a while. And when we were in the transformation process, you know, one of the things they were kind of hammering is like. No buildings are done, buildings are done. No good growing church has a building. And I'm like, I mean, I think that that is a function of privilege. Like people who are, you know, upper middle class people like, yeah, maybe they don't need a building um, because they send their kids to soccer camp on Friday and they have tutors. On, I mean, like, you know, church can just fill this one, they think, church can fill this one narrow church, not God, mm-hmm. but church can fill this one narrow slice on a Sunday morning. And yes, We can do it in an elementary school because we can hire people to set up the chairs and take them down, you know. But when you are, as a church, trying to be a resource and a light um, and a a source of living water for a whole underserved community, then you do need a building because you need a space to store the food for the food pantry and have the, you know, mental first aid trainings. And I mean, like you need that space. Um, And what you don't need as was often said to us in the transformation is you just need offices for your pastors and then a space you can rent on Sunday mornings. Like, no. And I, and I'm not, it's not that I don't think like, do small groups have to meet in the church building? Absolutely not. Like we do small groups in people's homes right now we're doing them virtually. So it's not that everything the church does needs to happen in the building, but I do think there's just a lot of unexamined privilege and assumption in that idea that like, oh, buildings are dead and people who want buildings but i think it's exactly what you said it's it's about examining why do we feel this urgency to get back to a building when the reality is every single good and true thing about god is still good and true and available to us mm-hmm. so are we allowed to think this is a strange hard time absolutely and it's a time that we're invi- navigating a lot of loss that has nothing to do with our routines and our habits but i you know i think you know, the bishop you quoted is really right to say, you know, are are we just thinking like if I could just be back in the building on Sunday morning, everything would feel okay, but it isn't okay. And so if the building makes us feel okay, when it isn't okay, if combining with other congregations of people who presumably already know Jesus, that makes us feel like we're a healthy and growing church, even though we're not. Like that that's problematic. And that is what what—and that's the definition of an idol, right? So.
1: And one of the one of the things I took from Bishop Noel Jones' statement about, you know, will pastors go back into the building, is that I know that when I go back to in-person services, I will be different. And yeah. I, I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I know that this season. Has changed me in deep, deep ways that I'm not even fully aware of yet. And um, it's exciting and scary and a whole lot
0: of other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the reality is if we are not changing and growing, then we are not yoked to the body of Christ. I mean, life with Jesus is not static it's dynamic and so of course is going to change us and how how sad would it be if we went through all this for nothing (laughs) and and how unfaithful would it be if we went through all this and had our eyes open and then just said no actually i want to turn around and whatever go back to jesus or go Mm -hmm. back to persecuting people Mm -hmm. or whatever so yeah
1: so what are you thinking about
0: Uh, Well, I'm thinking about what you said. I'm thinking uh, we're doing a sermon series right now on evangelism. um, Mm. And that is um, really important to Jesus. So it is important to me, although I definitely feel like it's not something in a mainline seminary you ever get trained for Like, let's just tell the truth of that online. And my friends who are non-denominational Christians, like that is one of the things that we say that just like their jaws like drop to the floor so badly that they get dislocated. Like they (laughs) cannot believe that you would go to seminary and be trained as a pastor and have no, no class, no training, no thinking about evangelism. And, and it is, it's true. And I think, well,
1: listen, I took there was one class offered at my seminary and um (laughs) it was a history of how it was a history of how presbyterians have done evangelism in europe and the u.s that's it it, yeah and i it was a history lesson
0: and i and there was one class that we took at bu um and And really what it was about was, um, colonialism. Like they didn't give us that language at the time, but they were really, and I, and I appreciate this, that they were really trying to say, look at the history of, in my case, how Methodists did evangelism and look at how often what happened was people would come in and take sort of white Western culture and impose it on other people. And so, you know, I, I appreciate that context. That's really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, but the problem was there was then no replacing. So like, mm. if that's not it, then what is it? And so when they were clearly identifying, like this is what was destructive and, and really antichrist in the past, what you walk away with is the message that evangelism itself is um, un, un, unfaithful and unholy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And And I do remember like literally one of the books that we read was called not angels, but agencies. And it was so interesting, like I look back now and I think like, it's so interesting that sort of you you spend the first half of the semester sort of deconstructing, like these are the ways that all these imperialist colonialism things in, invaded the kingdom. And then you see in the second half of the, class going like and here's the new way forward ngos right like so so right like like nonprofits like that and i'm like and now i look back and just think like okay so we understand that that's still a western imperialistic yeah. model it's just instead of saying we're the spiritual experts um now i'm so sorry now we're saying um we we're still the experts but we're going to fix you in a different way and so it's just Gross, 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 gross. And but I mean, I understand why. I mean, a we've talked about this many times that so mainline pastors are educated in seminaries, like yours was a standalone, stand-alone seminary, but mine was connected to a university. But in either case, uh, case, um, in my seminary career, there was I only had one professor who had ever been a pastor, and so wow. basically you know, it's just this idea that, that you come to seminary to learn this, um, academic framework, which was all valuable except for evangelism, but it was all valuable. Um, but I mean, I really did learn how to read scripture and how to preach and how to do pastoral care. Like, it's not that I didn't learn anything of value. I did. I so much like I, those were great years and God used them so mightily in my life, but what I didn't learn anything about was, what is a healthy church? What is a holy church? Why does this matter? Like, how can we foster this? I learned how to do the tasks of ministry with excellence, but I didn't learn because the church was not the focus, at, like at all. The church was not the focus. Everybody who was teaching me, like, not only have they not been a pastor, but I don't think many of them were part of a congregation. I think they were often brought in by congregations to lecture or to preach but that, but like the life of a congregation was not something that the majority of my professors participated in. And if they did participate in it, they sure as hell never talked about it like Mm -hmm. ever. So, so church then becomes like this. It's like, like the farm teams in the MLB system, right? Like this is just the place where like, the the people go and like, if you're really good, we draw you up and you become a seminary professor. or If you're really good, we draw you up and you become a bishop or a general presbyter. But like local church is kind of like something that you do until you get good enough to do something more important. Right. So like, again, like, I think that people that I studied with would be really defensive about that. Like they would say, that's not true. Or we didn't teach you that. And I would say like, well, maybe you didn't intend to teach me that, but you but you did. And I'm not even surprised because I don't like, it makes sense to me that that institution wouldn't center the local church because it centers itself, right? I mean, it just does. And that's where I think that non-denominational churches with their understanding of the gospel, which I actually think is problematic sometimes, but it does actually center the local church in the Christian worldview in a way that I think actually is biblical and faithful, even if my understanding of what God is doing in the local church is different and, and, you know, not, not opposed, but different to, to, to that. So, um,
1: yeah, one of the things that was helpful in the transformation project that we went through years ago was a focus on the great commission. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so at some point, you know, those who are leading, okay, whatever your thought theology, whatever your point of view Whatever you think the gospel is, it is your job to make disciples. It is the church's calling to make disciples. And if you're Mm -hmm. not doing that, you're leaving out the essential thing Jesus told the church to do.
0: Right. And I think, you know, what those guys pointed out, which I talk about a lot, and which was really a game changer for me, because, again, coming out of seminary, um, coming into ministry, you know, I really understood and loved and was drawn to, I think, by the Lord, you know, this the social justice expression, the justice imperative of the gospel. so i i was I was there for that. And so I knew I wanted to do ministry in a particular context, and I knew, you know, whose lives I wanted to be centered and and served and blessed in our context, which was not you know, the powerful and the wealthy, but the powerless and the poor. And like, I knew that the church needed to be centered around that. But what I didn't understand was how, I mean, it just was, I mean, honestly, like blind arrogance, really, I didn't understand the need to share with other people what had been shared with me about Jesus Christ. And like, I really had internalized some of that, like exceptionalism that like, oh, I see this. But there's no point in talking to anybody else about it because nobody else will see this. Like, I just, I mean, it was not tolerance. It was unexamined arrogance. And I remember, you know, really going back and forth with those consultants when they when they said to us, if you're not making disciples, your church is unfaithful and you need to repent. And I was like, you know, screw you, (laughs) because my church has a freedom school and my church has a free after school program and we have a food pantry and we have, you know, community meals and we have a free arts program. Like our church is being faithful to the gospel and, and the guy, Bob, just being like, Kate, that, those are faithful expressions of the gospel. They are. But if those are the things that God is calling you to do, you need to do them in institutions that only do them and do them with focus and excellence. But there's only one thing that the church can do that no one else will do, and that's make disciples of Jesus Christ. And if the church stops making disciples of Jesus Christ, no other institution will fill that role. like they will just stop being made. and I and I and it's not to say that like, of course, as a congregation, we will still like build houses and serve and feed people and educate. we will do all of those things because they are an expression of the gospel, but we will understand that that if we don't make disciples of Jesus Christ, no one else will. But if we stop educating children, other people will educate children. Other people will even educate children for Jesus. Other people will build houses and frankly, build them better than we will and serve more people than we will. So it's not that we stop doing any of that, but that we understand that our primary end is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he pushed me on this and I was really grateful. It's like, if you don't want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, then you need to sit with that. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't want to do that, then you need to ask yourself hard questions about what does it mean? about who you understand Jesus would be is and, and how you read scripture, because there's no nuance in Jesus's statements about making disciples and sharing the gospels. I mean, it is, it is absolutely all the way through all the gospels and all the letters. And so if you are saying, I want everything, but this part mm-hmm. then you need to ask yourself, <laughs> you I mean, you do. I mean, you need to recognize that the problem maybe isn't other people who are doing it wrong. The problem might be you. And here's how deep the
1: problem is. You and I both come out of a background that isn't churched. So at some point, when we know what it's like- (laughs) To be on the
0: outside. We know
1: what it's like to be on the outside and then to be in. And, And the problem is so deep that we got in and then no longer saw the need for other to help other people get in. I mean, that's exactly. how deep the problem is.
0: And I, and like especially for me when I and this is like my huge draw to the local church, not instead of doing the work of justice, because it is the justice work, but you know, though I the reason I know Jesus is because a plain old boring typical suburban Methodist church had a youth group and I was invited. And that was Sufficient for the Lord, you know, to reveal himself to me and to quicken my heart. Whatever I was met at this time. My heart was strangely <laughs> warmed.
1: Strangely warmed. Hey.
0: You know, and so I think, yeah, like this just the height of John Mary. Calvin is
1: like, what? What is she talking what? about?
0: What? Stop it. Oh, yes. Uh, it's it was predestined that way, Johnny. Um, but I think, yeah, for me then to say, like, no, I have more important things to do than to share what saved me with other people. Like, that's just that's just um really betrays a level of unhealth and a, a not a, I mean, not even I mean a false image of God, yes, but I think a really false image of of us, like sort of uh, um of ourselves. Um so I I don't even know how we we really got off on this, but um I'm I'm thinking we're doing a series. All that is to say we're doing a series on evangelism at the grove, which is Hard for me. Thankfully, you know the Body of Christ at the Grove is so diverse—not just racially, but spiritually—that there are just many people in in our congregation who come from, you know, charismatic and non denominational evangelical backgrounds. That like this is like, you know, like their their leading edge and their strength, and so that's great. It's just kind of awkward that I have the preaching moment. And I'm, but I am really growing in this area and I'm not ashamed to be growing in this area. But I mean, I think we talk about this a lot. Like you get to a certain point in your life and you're just like, oh, it's hard to be a beginner because you just feel like I should have, I should have nailed this a long time ago. So um, we're doing a sermon series on evangelism and part of what um, I'm doing in the very last week and you actually helped me talk it out. um, But in the very last week, um, it needs to be an articulation of what is the gospel that, like, after we sort of begin by saying, like, well, we're following Jesus, and Jesus invites followers to share the gospel. Like, that's just what he does from the very beginning. You know, come and see, you, know, you can be fishers of men. So Jesus is saying, if you're following me, this is my work, and my work is to gather gather people into the kingdom of God. So that's A, and then B is to know your own story. That's what we talked about last week. That you have a story where God has shown up in your life, or you are aware of that. And that's a sacred story and you need to be able to tell it. And then, um, we'll do, um, having right expectations of people this week, that if you're going to be a community that's making disciples, you, you need to have right expectations of people who are becoming disciples and not, you know, expect people to be something that they that the Lord has brought them to you to become or to know something that it's your job to teach or to have a behavior that you haven't, that you don't have, and you're not helping people, you know, grow in. So, and then, then we'll do interruptions. Like it's about being interruptible. You can't be so busy doing ministry that you don't have time to engage with people when they are having a moment of transformation, growth, whatever. But, but you pushed me at the end, because I really wanted to do the last one about the connection between evangelism and justice, which I'll still get in there. But you said, Like Kate, if you're doing a whole sermon series on evangelism, there has to be a moment where you talk people through, like people want, there's a moment where we make a decision to follow Jesus. There is a moment when we ask the Lord to make us born again. And we don't always, we don't really ever control what happens or the timeline of what happens after that moment. But there is a moment of decision Um, and, and you need to be able to help people in your congregation articulate you know, what does that look like? And what's our role in that? And and really fundamentally that if people are ready to make a decision, they'll want to know, well, like, what is this gospel? Like, if you're asking me to give my life to Jesus and to put the gospel, to believe the gospel, then what is the gospel? And, and you, I know I've been asking people in your congregation for years. Like, that's just one of your pastoral practices to, to say to people, what is the gospel? And it's the gospel. And I realized like it is, and we were talking about this before we started recording, like it's really hard. Um, because the 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 standard popular answer of what is the gospel is so individualistic that it's really not faithful to the revelation of actual scripture. Like when most people say what is the gospel, they'll say something like, Well, the gospel is I'm a dirty, dirty sinner and God hates dirty, dirty sinners, so God's really mad at me, and God wants to destroy me, but God had a son named Jesus who felt sorry for me, and so he came down, and he was perfect and without sin, and God punished him instead of me, and so now God doesn't hate me anymore, and I can worship God forever, and that is just, A, not the gospel. Also, who would want to worship that God? (laughs) That God sounds like a monster. And it's so individualistic. It's just about, it's just fire insurance. That's all it is. And scripture is talking about the kingdom of God breaking in and really, you know, reversing the curse of the fall in Genesis 1. It's this whole book, whole narrative. And so, which
1: includes, which includes the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the high point. But right. it's a long narrative. And, I, and Scott McKnight really helped me with this. He said, you know, people are asking different questions. He says the church has inherited a way of, of offering the gospel that comes from the 16th century. Because in the 16th century, you have a monk like Martin Luther, whose central question was, how can a sinner like me be right with the holy God? And that's the question he was seeking to answer. And so he answered that in
0: uh, through Rogers. scripture,
1: right? Yeah. But it it is it's an individual answer. How mm-hmm. can I be right with God? And the, the church, on all the way through Billy Graham, has said, Oh, this is the way we we preach the gospel. We say to individuals, you are a sinner. Who needs to be right with God. And says the problem is that we are now in a context when or where people are not asking that question. The central question in the minds, of, especially of millennials and younger, it's not, how can I be right with God? The question is, what's wrong with the world? Why is the world so messed up? And Scott McKnight says, if you start with that question, you proclaim the gospel differently, right? You mm-hmm. start it's there's still sin, you start with creation and sin and and God's plan of redemption through Jesus. It's the same narrative, mm-hmm. but it's answering a different question. And that was right. so helpful to me.
0: Cuz I think the problem with just saying like, you know, here's how you alone get to be saved is it can too easily like just slot very neatly next to sort of the Um, American exceptionalism, you know, meritocracy stuff of like, well, you do this thing. And if you do it, then you get what you deserve. And if other people would just do it, they would get what they deserve, but they haven't. So screw them. It doesn't matter whatever happens to them.
1: Yes. Because when we read the biblical narrative, especially when you get to someone like John the Baptist, John is proclaiming, hey, there is a reality called the kingdom the messiah is coming mm-hmm. some god is doing something right so big picture something is happening and that causes individuals to ask well what must i do right to be a part of
0: this thing that yeah. god so is doing so it's not an yeah. either
1: or it's a both and right but but right. when you only focus on the individual it it distorts um the well, gospel
0: And I mean, you can see that Paul is wrestling with that distortion way back in his letters, right? Because people are saying to him, like, I'm saved by grace. So that means I can send as much as I want. And he's like, no, you know, it is not. Are you saying I'll send more so there'll be grace more? Like, no, you do not understand that God is doing something in the world. The kingdom is here. And by grace, we can enter into that kingdom. And by grace, even in our flawed humanity, we can live in this kingdom because there's a method whereby when we sin, we can turn to God, we can repent and be given grace in order to overcome that sin in order to be changed and reformed. But, you know, this idea that like, when we solely focus on the individual, then we use the gospel as a way to become God of our own lives. Like, great. Now I've got Jesus in my pocket. So anytime I sin, I'll just pull him out, shake some Jesus grace dust on myself, and then go on in my way. And I can do whatever I want. That makes Jesus working for me instead of me saying, like, wow, I see the inbreaking of this kingdom in the world. And it is so beautiful. And I'm catching a glimpse of you know, Eden before, you know, I'm catching a glimpse of Shalom, of a way of life wherein there is abundance and mutual flourishing of all created people. And I long, and not just all created people, all creation, like there is mm. there is another way. And I can't make that other way, right? And I think both the Christian right and the Christian left suffer under the same delusion that if other people would just get the F out of the way and put them in charge, they could fix everything, right? Yeah no, sir. Like there is another way, but we can't get there. But God is um, unstoppably restoring and redeeming God's creation. And we can be people who see it, who celebrate it and say, where is it happening? I want to be part of it.
1: And even in this life begin to enter into it. Correct. Um, I was listening to, I don't know what I was listening to the other day in my car. um, And someone said, um, this it's often repeated statement, goes something like, no one gets out of this life alive. And I've heard that a, mi- a million times. And for the first time, just yesterday, I heard it. I was, I was on the way back from the grocery store. And I thought, no, that's not right. Yeah. Be- because in Christ, I've already come alive, <laughs> right? And so that life in Christ just continues on. And we are not giving that to people. We're still um, in in subconscious ways, maybe even conscious ways, giving people a works righteousness. You know, you you believe, be a good boy, be a good girl. And when you get to heaven, God will will wait and then everything will be okay. It's like, no, this kingdom is arriving here. (laughs) It is near. We get to enter into kingdom life in the here right and now, now and then fully when Christ comes again. And that that's that is that is a, a huge mind shift, it's a, a, a world view shift.
0: That we're saying actually, no, no, not agencies, angels, if by angels you mean the spirit of God yeah, alive yeah. and at work in the world in ways yeah. that we would label supernatural, which mm-hmm. is really just a function of how we center ourselves and our experience and claim that to be natural. Yeah, I um I, I think though this idea that we we have to be able to articulate what it is that we a believe about the gospel and then how we are inviting other people to enter into this life with us. And it's hard for two reasons. One is because you know the reason that the billy Graham model is so popular is because it's simple like it's, it's simple. easy to say mm-hmm. and so people can understand it and you know like it or not like it and, and, you know and and i mean honestly if it's if it is presented to you as ultimate reality ultimate reality is like god's really angry and it's going to either destroy you or not destroy you like okay i'm going to pick not to be thank you i'm going to pick to not be destroyed like so i mean it is simple and it will sort of do the trick of getting people to perform certain behaviors for you, right? Um, But the real gospel is beautiful, but not simple. (laughs) And so it's just difficult to figure out a way to say, well, something that begins people on that journey with the living God. But then B, you know, the other reason that I think it's really hard is for a lot of us, And certainly putting me in this category like it's really hard to acknowledge out loud like oh I don't know how to explain in a sentence or two what the gospel is and I am a 45 year old freaking pastor so you really just want to be like oh it's like being caught like just like as a huge imposter right like this idea that like oh if I can't do this um I better just pretend like well, it's a wrong question or it's not necessary, or there's something wrong with you for asking me or like, why are you trying to trick me or trap me? Instead of just being like, okay, I mean, whatever. And I have this conversation with my kids a lot in virtual schooling, like, okay, maybe you should have done this six weeks ago, but can't go back and change what happened six weeks ago. We are where we are right now. This is what I need to wrestle. Like this is where I'm stuck. So let's just Mm -hmm. work on getting unstuck like that it's okay and like thankfully we are part uh, we are part of a gospel that says you know shame and blame and guilt are, are not of the lord so you know we're this is this is the work we need to do anyway so it was just funny because i was working on a series outline for all of this and i had sent it to um my friend our friend that we talk about a lot on this podcast lisa coons and i was like hey can you give me some feedback on this and she's like this is good you know you need to make sure you say these three main you know the points really three times really be simple and clear and then at the end she's like your definition of what the gospel isn't is very good but your definition of what the gospel is is just unclear even though you've thrown in everything but the kitchen sink and you need to sharpen that up and I was like oh I love having a friend who tells me the truth <laughs> the truth it hurts it hurts me anyway so that's what I'm thinking about I mean muchly I'm thinking about this thanks to um, the ways that God has brought people like Lisa, like you, like our um, uh, transformation pilot project leaders, Bob and Bill and Warren Lissane, who really started that whole process of like, let's just name, there's a way that we, there's a huge hole in, in what we're doing and, and everybody is not, is just pretending it's not there <laughs> mm. and pretending that, you know, the reasons our churches aren't growing is that's a symptom of the sign of what's wrong with the world, not got anything to do with what's wrong with us, which I think right. you think about that for one hot second and you realize like, Hmm, I mean, the church has grown <laughs> in all kinds of um spaces and places. And, and, you know, so to say like, Oh, there's nothing to see here. Our churches aren't growing. That's just everybody else's problem, not ours. No, like, We, I mean, terrifyingly, we, Jesus says, and I think this was a case of very poor judgment on his part, but like, Peter, here are the keys of the kingdom. Like, you get the keys to the kingdom. Like, how about what? Like, what? Mind
1: blowing. (laughs) That's
0: terrifying to figure out how to take that seriously is terrifying. But I mean, like, I didn't write the gospel. Like, that's just in there. And we have to figure out what that means. And, and, uh, Anyway, so this is a very long podcast. I'm very sorry. I'm talking a lot on a Monday morning. And at
1: the end of the day, we must remember that the gospel is actually good news. Yeah. It is good news, especially (laughs) to the poor, the oppressed, those who are feeling ashamed and Mm -hmm. guilty and broken it is good news for those in love with the world as it is
0: probably
1: is not good news
0: well and i you know i was was talking to my friend Lindsay about this and it was really helpful because i was she was helping me realize that like it's not that people don't know the facts of jesus what people don't know right now i mean it's not news to them and honestly, for a lot of people, like, it's not even good. Like, basically, if the gospel is something that lets rich and powerful people feel like they have God's permission to do whatever they want, that's not good news. It's not good news to even people who aren't rich. I mean, like, it's just, even if you're not the one who's being squeezed the worst, like, you can just objectively look at that and go, like, if that's what the gospel is, basically, everybody gets to do what they want, and God doesn't care anymore, like like, like I get with my kids at six o'clock. School day, when I'm like, "Can I watch TV?" You can watch anything you want right now because <laughs> I have no capacity to care anymore. And I think a lot of well, people's functional reality is that that's how, where God is with us,
1: and and that's why it matters how we proclaim the gospel. Because if we simply say, which is true all day, every day, but if we simply say, the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins so that you can be forgiven. If, if, if that's all we say, that is problematic. Um, but it's not if, untrue. It's just it's not untrue. Right. Because of what you just said, then someone who is um, a lying, scheming, rich person, abusing the poor and the oppressed can hear that and go, oh, well, if Jesus died for my sins, I will accept that forgiveness and continue on my merry way. And in that it's way, like
0: that story that you like to tell about the gangster. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a cheesy preacher story.
0: It um, is a cheesy preacher story.
1: Right. Uh, and I think it was about Al Capone who went and heard uh, Billy Sunday. And, um, you know, and as a gangster, he could say, Hey, bring that preacher to me. I want to talk to him privately. And he did. And he said to him, you know, I, I think, no, I think it was, Dwight Moody. And he said, I want to become a Christian. And uh, Moody said something like, well, you got to give up shooting, robbing, (laughs) killing. And he was like, wait, hold on a minute. You know, so-and-so is a Christian baseball player. This person is a Christian um, accountant. I thought I could be a Christian gangster, right? And so there's this idea that I can have Jesus and just live the way I want to live and just add Jesus to my life.
0: Yeah. And it, I mean, I think like we, I try to say at the Grove and, and it, like anybody is welcome to be a part of this community, but nobody is welcome to walk in and change the mission. And it's the same thing. Like anyone is welcome in the kingdom of God, but nobody gets to come in and start renovating like the kingdom yes. of God, which is why I like, and do not want to get rid of the word kingdom. And I do not no. want to get rid of the word God as King. Like, I don't care if we want to degender it, that's great, but it's yeah. not a kingdom. It is a realm where one entity is supreme yes. and authoritative and in charge, and that isn't gross, and it isn't yes. sick, and it isn't unhealthy, because the one in charge is God,
1: and, that's and he why is my we, king. We, And that's why you don't need to change the language of sin and forgiveness, which is where I was um, going before I got onto Al Capone. Um, <laughs> if you say, if you proclaim the kingdom this, uh, or the gospel this way, listen. The world is messed up because of sin, and everyone knows the story of Adam and Eve, and we continue to sin, and the world is a horrible place. That was not God's intention. It's the sin of humanity, but God has made a promise that God is going to restore this earth, not take us to some far place, but God is going to restore this earth to paradise, God is gonna make this place holy, just like heaven, heaven is coming to earth. But you know what? None of us, can can you conceive of being in a place that is totally holy and you living in accordance with that holiness and not messing up? It's like, no, I cannot conceive of myself. Well, you know what? Um, God so loved the world, right? Christ has died and risen for the forgiveness, for the cleansing of your sin. And not only that, um, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell on the inside of you to make you fit, to train you to live mm-hmm. in this kingdom, in this paradise that is going to be restored. That is good news.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right mm-hmm. so repent, turn from your life the way it is and believe this good news.
0: yeah and and turn from going after the life that you're going after in this world, right the, mm-hmm. you're going after something like the best that this can offer you, whether it's numbing yourself or trying to win mm-hmm. the prize, whatever it is. turn around at, away from going after that turn in the other direction and begin to go after the things of the kingdom, which is why Jesus can say, ask, seek, not right. Like there knock. There's some, you're going after something. So it's not just mm-hmm. like, you know, you desire the kingdom in the same way that currently you desire Jesus as a, as a means to get whatever else it is you want on this earth. Like that, that's the thing is having our desires. And I do feel like, I mean, he's problematic as, as are we all, but like Who's the Christian hedonism guy? The guy in New York. Piper. Um,
1: Piper. That's right? um,
0: <laughs> the guy who's like i yeah, the I guy who's in sort of
1: Minnesota. I think I think he's in
0: He's Minnesota. in Minnesota?
1: Mm-hmm. Piper. Bethleh- Bethlehem oh. uh Baptist Church. I think you're thinking of um um Oh I well, can't. Well it doesn't matter. Yes. The Christian hedonism <laughs>
0: is the John Piper thing, and I find it You're so thinking, thinking it. of Tim Keller. I'm thinking of Tim Kelly. That's yes. true. I true. I put both of those dudes yeah. in the same. <laughs> He's in category. New York. Category, um, which I mean, whatever. They they have definitely been um, given revelation from the Lord, much as it offends and annoys me. Um, <laughs> all right, we have to end this podcast because this is long. Yes. What are, are we even done? What you're thinking about? No.
1: No, but we can save it. This is a long podcast.
0: Okay. Well. But
1: Um, let me, I I do want to talk about um, preaching. Um, I started a series, a new series on Sunday entitled Pandemic Emotions. And on our last podcast, I talked about that NPR story um, about hitting the pandemic wall. I said, you know, I really need to lean into this in my preaching. And so I just started this series. um, And last Sunday, yesterday, uh, preached on grief, and um, <laughs> my yeah, I listened
0: to it by the way. Did oh, yeah. well, yeah. that's great. That um, great. My
1: my mother. Um, uh, so I've I've gone several weeks without my mother commenting on uh, sermons because my mother does not just give compliments. All right, with and my mother says she likes something. I mean, she really likes something. Mm-hmm. So when she said she liked your sermons for two weeks. Uh, when you preached for me, and then I went a week and I heard nothing, you know, I felt <laughs> some kind of way. It's like, oh, <laughs> right. Yep. So my yep. mother, she's the type that's like, you know, I, I'm not going to give it up unless it's like actually really good. Yeah. So, so yesterday I called home and she's like, Hey, I listened to your sermon. It was, I, I really appreciate it. It was really good. I was like, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the sermon was great. It was great. And also also, um I just hadn't watched your video in a while, and, and like you do all the video production for your church, and like just the whole the video production of the whole thing is really good.
1: Oh, thanks! And I
0: saw a lot of things that I wanna wanna steal. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, we could, we should do this. so No, it's oh, really, thanks. it was really good. Well, and I just really appreciated, you know, and I, and I feel good about where we are, and it's where we need to be it's just hard which is my thing but i mean i just really appreciate the wisdom in sort of going like hey this pandemic wall it's where we all are and so instead of sort of making people feel like they just need to get over it or deny it like let's just acknowledge it and seek i mean this is what you said in the sermon like seek actually there are resources for us in this moment and we don't need to like fix ourselves or just like bear down and knuckle through it like there are there are revelations and they're uh, from, from scripture. And there's just like the presence of God and wisdom about how we can, you know, orient ourselves and access that. that, And and so we want to speak to it because this is where we all are. And the reality is like, there's probably much more evangelism happening in in a space where people can say like, we're talking about how how do we love Jesus while we're at the wall instead Mm. of just being like, I'm at the wall, but I'm just going to go ahead and, like do some kingdom stuff. And I mean, you know, like, and, and I, and I hear people saying this a lot, like, just, just, it's not just surviving this season is not a given. Mm. Um, It's not a given. And so, mm. and, and, and so to survive this season and lean on Jesus during this season, that is witness. Um, so and i thought it was really good
1: wow wow so what are you preaching on sunday well oh, I,
0: evangelism you just saw, already talked you know, about already, it yes yes I yes, talked about that. yes, yes. 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 So anyway um but i still have a couple of weeks to figure out what the gospel is so <laughs> <that's good. laughs> uh this has been a really long podcast but we are really really glad that you guys are listening. actually like people have been reaching out lately and just like saying that they are listening and it's like coolest thing because i really feel like like i would do this just i mean like obviously we just do this like this is just (laughs) what we do like we just talk to each other and it's just a pure ego thing to be like let's record it because people want to hear it so anyway it just i'm we're really um just
1: grateful and blessed
0: and grateful that people find value in it like don't listen to it just to make us feel good about ourselves because we probably feel too good about ourselves already but we're really happy um if it is a blessing to you, that just brings us great joy. So thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about Derrida Presbyterian Church, you can go to their website. Why have you not your website is easy? D-E-R-I-T-A-P-R-E-S dot org. Derita Press go the website. Um and you can um check out worship on their YouTube channel always, but especially now. Um the, the sermon on grief is just really good. Aww. Really healing. How nice um are you? so I mean, I'm not nice. I'm truthful. Mm. I'm not nice. Everybody knows I'm nice. <laughs> nice is not a kingdom value. Um so uh but yeah, so listen to the um Derida Presbyterian Church Charlotte North Carolina YouTube channel and you can find the message there and it's great. Um and you can find old messages on their podcast bingeable content. So much bingeable content on the Derida Pres podcast which you can find on Membean, Podbean. Podbean. <laughs> don't go on Membean. You will just find fifth grade algebra. And then if you want to find out more about the Grove, <laughs> you, know, you can go to our website, thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, You can worship with us on Sunday mornings on Facebook. It's a public Facebook page. So you don't even have to be on Facebook. Um, but we, uh, at 10 o'clock, the Grove Church, you need to make sure you're in Charlotte because there's a lot of Grove Churches around the world. That's annoying. Um, and then if you want to check out our website and find out more things, sign up for our newsletter, it is um, org, And you can listen to our podcast, The Grove Church Podcast, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you for listening. We will talk, maybe not as long, but we will talk to you next week.